Welcome, everybody, to Sunday service here in New Philadelphia Church Seaside. A lot of guests in the house. Uh, I just want to introduce Jess, uh, Jess Nuanez. Her grandparents are here, right here. For all they're from San Diego. Just want to welcome you guys. Uh, they're San, Di- San Diegans. Yes, San Diegans. We also have a lot of uh, guests from Hillside joining us. What's up, Hillside? And is there anyone from Itaewon here? Whoa, Itaewon. All right, represent. All right, there's a, there's a lot of people here from all around Korea and all around the world. Welcome, everyone. Um, last week, I got a little bit, uh, what's the word, a little arrogant. I was like, oh, yeah, man, like, I don't preach as long as past, past Christian. Uh, and then I went home and I looked at the podcast. It was an hour and 18 minutes. Uh, I want to apologize. <laughs> That uh, last week, I don't know what, but it just, it just, I had no idea. It didn't seem that long to me when I was preaching. Only thing that I noticed was my, my throat was a little bit hoarse at, afterwards. I was like, well, why is my throat already going? I realized I'd been talking straight for an hour and 18 minutes. A lot of you guys never do that. You guys, rarely do you talk straight for an hour and 18 minutes. Even when you teach, you know, you teach, speak for a little bit. But uh, I, was, I was shocked. I was like, I didn't know I could do that. So uh, I will try to make my sermon on the short side. I only have five pages of notes. Last week I had seven going into eight. But today, uh, I feel like last week I preached on the, the strongholds in our minds. And I talked about how a stronghold is, 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 is something that when you come into an agreement with a lie that the enemy is trying to implant in you, it's that agreement that establishes that lie in your mind. And, and as that lie starts to kind of fester and grow, and as you take, put more weight into that lie, it's going to not just affect your mind, but it's going to affect how you see God. A lot of times, it's like, it's like if you, like, you can't have, like, this brain, say that you have a, that's a bad, bad example. Say your mind, and there's like a part of your mind that's like, like, always saying, God is, God is not true. God is a lie. Uh, you know, like, this, just a little bit. Just a small area of doubt, a small area of like, you know, not unbelief in your mind. Very small. But if that voice is, that lies, keep on just like saying, like, God is, God is not true. God is not, in, in this area of your life, God is not real. It's going to affect how your, your mind grows. It's going to affect how you develop. And when you live with strongholds in your life, you're going to realize, like, you're going to look back on your life and you're going to say, like, wow, I really haven't matured much. Although I feel like I'm gaining all of this knowledge, I'm gaining all of these these truths and being taught all of these things, my maturity in, in the spiritual maturity of my life has not been growing. And, you, and when you look at your mind and, and how you've been interacting with God throughout the years of your life, you're going to realize that stronghold in your mind has been limiting your potential in understanding the Lord and also limiting your potential in growing in the Lord. And so I talked about how because... Your mind is the one that came into agreement with that lie. Ultimately, the, the person responsible of removing that stronghold is you. As you come into agreement, ultimately you have to face the music and say, All right, I want to I remove this stronghold and I'm going to start not believing in this lie. It, it requires grace. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit. But God tells you to do it because you can do it. And that was my sermon from last week. And as we start tearing down the strongholds in our mind, today I want to move into an area of a place where we're not only uh, like guarding our mind, 
being vigilant about the state of our mind, the condition of our mind, but to go to a place where we are renewing our mind into a place of transformation. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I use the word vigilant because, like I, like, I, like I mentioned before, our minds are not static. It's, it's like a living thing. Our minds are a living thing. It's not a machine. It's not a computer. Okay? It's constantly growing and adapting and learning. It's a living thing. And if it's not continually renewing, at some point, it's going to start going backwards. It's going to deteriorate. Now, I don't mean that your brain's going to deteriorate, you know? I'm just saying that whatever, like, the, the renewal that you re- experience, if, if, that, if you don't continue that, and if you don't continue to go after it, it's going to start going backwards. It's going to start depreciating. Depreciation is a word that we, we like to use with, like, assets. When we buy something, we, me and Mina, we have a car, okay? And, and when we first got it, or when Mina first got it, it's not, it's not really my car. Mina's mom bought Mina her car. Thank you, mother-in-law. Jihi Choi. Uh, when, we, when she first got it, it was brand new. Man, right off the lot, you know? And, and then as she, we continued to drive it, and, you know, I had, we had our first accident last couple of weeks ago, the value of the car starts to depreciate. And in the same way, our minds, if we don't continually, if we're not continually vigilant about guarding our mind, and, and not just guarding, but renewing our mind, it's going to start depreciating. Now, Paul is not saying, be transformed by the renewed mind. Okay, but he's saying, by the renewing of your mind, it is a continual process. It's like a bucket. You have a bucket, and you have a hole in that bucket. And if you want to keep that bucket filled with water, you don't just fill it with water and then go away and come back and expect that bucket to be filled with water. You have to continually be pouring into that bucket. We went to the beach yesterday, and we have, me and Mina, we bought tubes last year because we wanted to save money. It's $5 to rent a tube in Busan, right? Actually, $3 now. But, you know, we were like, save money. We bought these tubes, these swimming tubes. And yesterday, we, I pumped it up. We have two of them, a big one and a small one. And I pumped up the big one. It took me like 10 minutes. Like, ah, I pumped it up. And I was like, I got it tight and filled. And I was like, yeah, we're ready to go. And me and Mina and Ethan, we went out in the water and we're playing and had a good time. Came back. And then it was just a little bit deflated. And I was like, you know, honey, I think there's a hole in this tube. And I pumped it up again. And we hung out on the beach for a couple of hours and looked at the tube and it was like deflated again. And it's the same way. If we're not on guard, if we're not continually putting things into our mind that's going to help it to renew, it's going to start going backwards. It is alive. It is, it is continually moving. Now it says in the Word of God, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine powers to destroy strongholds. God gives us weapons because it is a war. Everybody say war. war. It's warfare. It's a battle. There is a battle for your mind. There is a battle for your thought life. There are thoughts. Are, you know your thought life is extremely important. Okay? Your, thought, your thought life is not just important in your physical world, but it's also in your spiritual world. Because your thought life has a profound effect on how you are in your physical, natural state. But it also has a profound effect on how you are in your spiritual state. Your thought life has a foot in each side of your existence. 
has a foot in your natural existence, and it also has a foot in your spiritual existence. And it being so, whatever your thought life is starting, is, is, is on and is, is putting value, your thoughts are putting in, dwelling on these things, it's going to ultimately not just affect your physical world, how you live on this earth. It's going to affect your spiritual world. It's going to affect your relationship with God and your communion with God. So our thought lights are very important. Our thoughts affect not only what we do, but also how we are spiritually in relations to God. Your mind is vital real estate. It's very important real estate. Now, there is an island. There's a, you know, who knows? Who likes history? Anybody? Like three people. I'm a hist- I like history. I like history. I, uh, I, in college, I was a history major for a while. I really like history. And I like what, like, and, and my wife has no idea. She, is she around here? Where is she? She's, she's feeding Ethan. My wife knows nothing about history. I would tell her about something, and she's like, what is that? I don't know what that is. And I was like, man, it's history, girl. But I love history. And one of the, and there's, an, there's a part in the, after World War II, you know, World War II, there was like, it was literally a world war. A majority of the world was affected by this war. Not just in Europe, okay? But it was also, had a huge effect on here in Asia and, and through the country of Japan. And there was, near the end of the war, there was this one island. It was called Iwo Jima. You guys know about the raising of the flag in Iwo Jima, a lot of American, like, like, pictures, and it's just like, it's like this iconic picture of the, the Marines, like, lifting the flag over Iwo Jima. It was a bloody battle. It was probably, like, it was like weeks long. It was one of the most, like, intense battles that was ever fought in World War II. And it was over this tiny island, okay, it's like to the, to the east and to the south of Japan, somewhere in the South Pacific, okay, around the Philippines and in that area, the small island okay, really have no real value to it. You can't, there are no, there are no apples growing on there. Nobody wants this island, but it had a very strategic value. Okay? It was very prime real estate in the fact of the outcome of the war. Okay? It had two, it had two or three airstrips on that island. So it was, it was a, it was a place where Japanese would use in their in their in their attack uh, on the forces out in the Pacific, and it was it, they didn't want to give it up. Okay? And but the Americans knew that it would this island okay, if they can reach this island, it can ultimately affect how they attack Japan because they had these big B I think it was B not B 52s it was like earlier than that. They, they were called battle fortresses. They're huge like airplanes that just do one thing: Man, drop bombs. Man, come back. They can't maneuver. Okay, they don't, they don't, they can't die in it. They just, drop bombs. Man. And as these battle fortresses were going into Japan and they were getting attacked and then, you know, they would just, they would like incur damage and there was no way for them to like stop and fix their, their plane or stop and like, like save the plane in any way. People would die. And so this, it was a strategic place where the Americans can go, and I'm not saying this story like, oh, Japanese are bad, Americans are good. Right? This, this is, I just want you to understand the strategics of it, okay? This island was so important to Amer- for America, it, it can ultimately affect the way that they attacked the in, in, inland Japan. They wanted to destroy these factories that were, that, that were like creating these, the, the, the weapons that was funding the war for Japan. They, ha- they wanted to attack the, the, the factories and the places in Japan, the bomb, the, the bomb makers, people, the, all of the, 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 the weapons and the artillery that were coming out of Japan. They wanted to destroy that. And this, it was a strategic island for that. 
It was also a strategic island. I think deep in the back of the people, like the top secret, top secret people knew that ultimately America had this weapon. It was an atomic bomb. And back then, they had two, and it was very expensive. Okay, it's like literally, it's like all the money, they, they, all the money that they could spend in a year in defense, they put into this one weapon. And, they, and then ultimately, if they were going to drop the bomb in Japan, and it, it failed, okay, that weapon would have to just be dumped in the ocean and lost. And they're like, no, that can't happen. We need somewhere that in case this weapon is not launched, we need a place for us to come back, land, and protect our, our, our asset. Our, this is like billions of dollars in their days. It was like billions of dollars wrapped up in this one little bomb. And so it was a very strategic place for both sides. It was a, and in the minds of um, the Americans, uh, the, the people that are running the attack on America and, and in, in the minds of the Japanese, this island, okay, what would make or break the war. For Japan, if they could not defend this island, okay, it would prove to, uh, the Americans and to the Allied forces that J- Japan can be stormed. That Japan, the, the land of Japan could be occupied and taken over. And so they wanted to hold this one piece of island and, and there were soldiers camped out in there in tunnels. They would dig tunnels into the island and they would just, just hold fast. And bombs were being dropped on the island for days. They're hiding in there. And when the people, when the Marines rushed the troops and they landed on the beach, these few soldiers were doing everything that they could to hold ground and not give up this island. And in America, they're like, all right, this is it. If we can take this island, okay, we, we win the war. Not just this battle, but we can win this war. That was the mentality of the forces that were at, in contact at Iwo Jima. It was a very pivotal little bit of real estate that they were fighting over. And in essence, our minds are like that. Our minds, our thought life, okay, it's really the battlefield that's going to make or break the war in your life. It is a powerful bit of real estate. Now, Romans 7, 21 through 24, Paul is saying right here, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. That dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. He's being very overdramatic here. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul's talking about himself here. He's not talking about just like unregenerated Christians. He's talking about himself. And he's saying there's this war that's raging inside my mind. My mind, in the, in the inner depths of who I am, I want to do, I want to, I want to do right. But my members and things are not agreeing with me. It's, 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 it says against the law in my inner being, but I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. There's a battle, a war being waged for your thought life. And I mentioned last week about free will. God in his love for us gave us free will because he loves us. C.S. Lewis, as that quote I mentioned, is that free will is the only thing that makes love possible. Because he loves us, he gives us our free will, and with that he gives us control over our minds and the way we think. He doesn't just control the way we think. He removes his, like his, his, his jurisdiction, he removes his power over our minds so that we can have thoughts 
and, and, and our will and our emotion can belong to us and we can have our own, our own mind. And because of that, our mind is a part of us that has the greatest potential to bring the most glory to God, but also the greatest potential to pull us farthest away from God. Now, when I, when I was young, I became a Christian when I was in high school. And uh, I went to Christian university. I wanted to be a missionary, all of these things. And I remember at one point, I got really disillusioned, and my mind went on a break. And then my mind started to think, okay, God is real. Jesus Christ is the Lord. But my mind just said, okay, I just, I don't want to do this right now. And my mind just left. And, and my mind took my being as far away from God as I could possibly go. I just ran from God. Anything that had to do with God, I just shut it out of my life. And, and, and I just rebelled against the Lord. And I had many, many years of just a wretched life. Dysfunctional life. I was, I was living my life as a mad pagan. And it's because my mind one day chose not to do it. It's not like, oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, it was all the influence of peer pressure. Like, you know, like, oh, dude, smoke this joint. No, no, it was my mind. <laughs> and my mind willfully made these decisions to rebel from the Lord. But, you know, I'm going to give you something. When you, when, if you're a real, regenerate, born-again believer, you truly believe in the Lord. No matter how far away from God you run, it's like you have a rubber band attached to your back. It brings you right back. I guarantee you, that's grace. You running from the Lord is God's grace. I'm telling you. And that's what happened. It brought me right back. I was like, oh, Lord, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. Bam, what am I doing here? Our minds are powerful. Our minds are pivotal. There's a war being waged. And I believe that Paul uses his verbiage of war and battles because it requires an apt response. From us, it requires uh, an appropriate response with our minds. It is a war, it is a battle. We have to fight to take dominion of our minds, to master our mind and use it for the glory of God as a worship unto Him. Our minds, like our bodies, are a worship unto the Lord. To bring renewal into our minds so that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ as continual renewal. Now, my main passage for today comes from Romans 8. Let's turn your Bibles to Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. And I will read this out loud to you guys. I'm going to read from the ESV. Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, cannot do. By sending his, son, his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. I'm going to say that again. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God who dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does, does not, not belong to Him. Now, when we read this passage, Paul outlines two distinct sides. And what it seems to boil down to is flesh and death, and spirit and life. I'm not saying that this is flesh and death, no. Flesh and death, <laughs> spirit and life. I'm not trying to divide you guys or anything. The, the, the word flesh used here in the Greek is sarax. Okay? And it means flesh. It means the, our physical bodies. The, the literal translation would be our physical body, our flesh. The part, there's one definition, the part of us that attaches to bone. That's one of the definitions. As you read down, it says, the part of us that attaches itself to bone. That's our flesh. There's a definition that goes beyond that. And it means... Uh, it's used here in this way. It's used here to denote mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence, and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. It's usually used in a negative way, referring to making decisions according to self, done apart from faith. Thus, what it is of the flesh, which is carnal, is by definition displeasing to the Lord. Even things that seem respectable. In short, flesh generally relates to unaided human effort, decisions, actions that originate from self or are empowered by self. This is carnal, it's the flesh, and proceeds out of the untouched part of us. It has a long definition of what the self is, but it's basically our human, des- our human desire, our, our sinful nature that acts and does things and thinks things on its own. It's our flesh. Our mind, in its original state, is completely in the flesh. It was solely based on our human nature, our earthly desire, our carnal desire and understanding. And our flesh, left to its devices, would lead us to the works of the flesh. Mentioned in Galatians 5.19. The works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. And some of you Christians in here are thinking, oh no, that's me. Oh no, that's me. Talked about sexual impurity. Oh, that's me. Talked about anger. That's me. I have these fits of anger. A jealousy. Man, I was jealous of that guy. Oh, that's me. He's talking about me. My mind is on the flesh. No. That's not us. It's not us. The mind set on the flesh is not us. Because Paul says, right here, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. <laughs> Last week I told you guys that our battle is not in our flesh. I'm sticking with that story. Our battle, and this is, this is where I want to really shift your mind. Our battle is not in the flesh. Some of you are thinking, well, Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their mind on the things of the spirit. It's, it's flesh versus spirit. Spirit, you know, it's a battle between the flesh. I got to fight my flesh 
so I can receive the Spirit. I have this battle with my flesh. No. Our battle is not with our flesh. It's not with our sinful nature, because if it was, then we would still be under the law of sin and death. If, if our battle is really with our flesh, that means our, our, the law that we abide, our under is the law of sin and death. Paul talks about it here. We were free from the law of sin and death, from the law of spirit of life. So if our battle is really with the flesh and what my, my, my flesh feels and what my flesh desires, that's the battle my desires. If it really is, that means we take ourselves to the place where our, we are under the law of sin and death. No. Our battle is not with the flesh. Our battle, our struggle is not with the flesh, but our battle is in our fight to go after the Spirit of God. Our battle is actually with God. Our battle is our, with our desire. Okay, not our, our earthly carnal desire, but it's our, with our desire to want more of God. Now, back in the retreat, we had, there was, a, was an amazing speaker, Dr. Kirby Clements from Atlanta. And he, he talks like a, a, a combination of Mufasa and Morgan Freeman. He was a, he's a cool guy, man. He's, he's only like 77 years old. Look like a, built like a Mack truck. And he, he talks so eloquently. And he would talk about, he would say, our struggle is not, you know, like, listen carefully. Our struggle is not with the devil. But our struggle is with God. Our struggle is with God. Our battle is not with the flesh but with our desire to go after God. Setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Battling with our flesh. Let me tell you. Okay, I got this, this, this analogy. Battling with the flesh is like, bat, like trying to fight a dead body in the ocean and trying to keep from sinking. That's what it's like. That's what like battling with our flesh is like. Our flesh is already dead. And we're trying to bring some kind of life out of this flesh that's dead and trying to keep from singing, sinking. But battling to go after the Spirit of God is you reaching up and fighting to reach the hand that's trying to pull you up. That's the difference. I'm trying to give you a fresh perspective on, your, on, on what your mind is going through. And you've got to understand, as a redeemed, born-again believer, your battle is not with your fleshly desires. I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't struggle with them. But ultimately, the battle doesn't lie there. Your struggles and, and the effects of your, your struggles might still be there. Because, you know, we're still in our flesh. But the ultimate battle, the war, is not there. Because we're, we're, we're out of that. And there's no condemnation. We're, we're under a new law. We're under the law of spirit of life. And our, our, ultimately, our battle is going after God. We need a fresh perspective. When we battle with flesh, we find doubt. When we, when we struggle and fight with our flesh, you know, we, we find ourselves with condemnation. We feel shame. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Why do I feel the shame? Have you ever felt that before? You're just struggling with your, with your, your earthly desires and you feel so much shame. Why? Because Paul says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Says, Why do you feel shame? You're struggling with your faith. You're trying to fight your flesh. And, you, and the weapons that he gave you aren't even for that. When we battle with the flesh, we find doubt. Am I really saved? I'm a Christian. Why do I, why do I act like this? Oh, my goodness. I wonder if, if the Holy Spirit is even in me. No, it's, he's in you. 
But your, your battle is you're battling the wrong thing. You're bringing yourself under a different law when you're actually you're under this law. Fear and anxiety. When you're battling with your flesh, you find yourself just fearful, anxious. You start being controlled by our circumstances. Why? Because our flesh falls under a set of laws that we have saved people no longer fall under. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And the weapons he gave us for warfare aren't ones to kill our flesh, but are weapons to bring us closer to God. Weapons to fight for our intimacy with God. That's the weapons he gives us. He doesn't give us like a weapon to fight our flesh. He's like, oh, we'll give you this weapon to resist resist sexual sin. No, he gives us weapons to draw near to God. He gives us the word of God. Why? So we can draw near to God. He gives us prayer. Why? So we can draw near to God. The weapons of our warfare are not against our flesh. But it's to draw near to God. We're talking about renewal of our minds. And it starts with us leaving behind the old things. Our crucified self. Our sinful nature. Put it behind you. Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And as we put it behind us, we have to go after the Spirit of God. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. I love this verse. Because it's actually one of the first sermons that I preached. And New Philly was on this verse. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You guys get that? You guys get that? I'm going to see, read it to you again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say walk by the Spirit and fight to not gratify the desires of your flesh. No, it says walk by the Spirit, and you will not Gratify his desires of your flesh. When you walk by the, the Spirit, your, your flesh has no power. This verse, powerful verse. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And because, think about it, because they're opposed, as one diminishes, the other one goes up. It's like a seesaw. Hey, who, who do you guys know what a seesaw is? Uh, who's been on a seesaw? Okay, who's been on a seesaw with a heavy person? Right? A seesaw, when you're on a seesaw, there's no way that one can go down and the other one goes down. Or it, it could actually do that if it breaks. <laughs> But if you have a very strong seesaw, there's no way that one can go up and the other go up too. It's opposing one another. So as one goes down, the other one has to go up. There's no way that they can both end up going up. But we think that. We think that, oh, I'm getting closer more with the Spirit. But then some of you guys have this fear, like as you grow more with the Spirit, there's like this flesh that's growing alongside you. No. As you grow in the Spirit, your flesh dies. You guys understand that? It says right here, 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The renewal of your mind comes as you fight for God. You fight for His Spirit. You fight for His Word. You fight for Jesus. You contend. You want more of Him. That's where the renewal of your mind comes. That's what it is right there. And so now, I'm going to move on to a more practical thing. And I want to give you guys a holistic battle plan for the renewal of your mind. Everybody say, holistic. Holistic. Okay? And taking every thought captive in obedience to God. Now, I use the word holistic because I have ten points. (laughs) What time is it? I have ten points, but I guarantee it's going to go fast. It's a holistic battle plan for the renewal of your mind. And at first, it starts with one word. It starts with repentance. Struggles that you have in your flesh. Repent. The strongholds that you have, that you've been entertaining. Repent. Reverse those in your mind. Repent. Your battle with the flesh ends as at repentance. As you repent, there's no more battle. You don't have to grovel to the Lord. To get this away from me, Lord. Lord, remove this from me, Lord. You don't have to go to God over and over again. Lord, I repent. Get this away from me, Lord. No. As you repent, it's gone. If we confess with our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. That's First John 1, 9. That's a powerful verse. It has to start from repentance. If you mess up, repent quickly. A lot of times we feel like after we sin or after we struggle, we have to wallow in our sin. Try to clean it up for ourselves. Have you ever made a big mess and just try to clean it up and you make a bigger mess? A lot of times that's what we feel like we have to do before we repent. We've sinned and we feel like we have to like, like wallow in the sin and feel the shame and this kind of, yes, you sinned, it's bad. But Christ died for that sin. So just repent. You don't have to take three weeks. You don't have to take like, have like a whole session. No, you just repent. Because God, I'm sorry. I repent. I turn from what I did. And I'm going to face you now. It's repentance. You turn. You repent quickly. Everyone. You guys mess up. Don't just, don't tell all your friends and oh, woe is me. Please pray. No, use the first step. You should just go to God and repent. And then healing comes afterwards. You know, you don't have to like, you know, get everybody and their mom to come and pray for you and learn. Just repent. Just turn. Say, God, I turned my heart away from the sin. I turn it towards you. That's something that you need to get in the habit of doing. Like continually. You know, you don't just, you know, like repentance. Yes. Because, you know, we, we might struggle here and there, and repentance is going to be a part of our lives until we're perfected. But you know what? It's there. Use it. Repent. It starts with repentance. Our holistic plan for renewal of our mind has to start from, we have to have a fresh perspective away from the things of our flesh, and we've got to now face God. That's the first, and that's like one of the most important steps. True Repentance. You gotta really want to not do this again. Like, I really repent, God. Starts with repent. Step two, you take your place in your identity. 
You have to start clothing yourself in the identity that comes from Jesus. You got to start claiming the blood of Jesus over yourself. What did the blood of Jesus do? Forgive my sins. I, I'm clean. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. These are identities. If you guys want to know more, there's a bunch of them. I emailed it to you. Right? It's by John Michael. It's been used in our church for so many years. It's so good. There's like 40, 50, I think like 60 identities now in Christ. And it just speaks life over you. We have to clothe ourselves with the identity of what Christ, how Christ sees us. Our identity is key. It's what keeps us grounded and rooted in who we are in the Lord. And our identity, it can't come from what you do. My identity in Christ doesn't come from the fact I'm preaching this sermon. I'm up here. My identity from Christ does not come from me being a campus pastor. My identity in Christ doesn't come from the fact that, oh, I'm an apostolic leader. No, my identity in Christ comes from the fact that Jesus loves me, died on the cross for me. I have a lot of sin. And it's all gone now. I'm born again. And I have a relationship with him which puts me on solid ground. That's where my identity comes from. You could take this away from me. I could just be a hogging worker. I'll be fine. My identity in Christ does not have anything to do with me being up here. You got to understand that. For all of you guys, if you guys are moving into ministry, you guys have to get into the habit of that. Clothe yourself with the identity of Christ. Because identity is what's going to establish you and who you are. Point number three, go after the word. Now, when I started writing, I got very convicted. You know, all of us. We, should be, we have to go after the word. I'm not perfect. But you know what? All of us. We have to have a fresh perspective of what this is. It's the word of God. John 6, 63. It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This right here is a spirit. It's life. And we have to go after the Word of God. Not just read it. Not just, just, just you know, like, you know, it's good. We have to read it. You know, we can't just like, it's not an osmosis. <laughs> ah, yeah. I think, I think, oh, yeah, they got like four chapters in. No. No, it's not osmosis. You have to read it. We can't have to go beyond reading. I mentioned this last week. You gotta go beyond just reading. You gotta meditate. You gotta make it your own. It's gotta be engraved on your heart. You guys understand that? You gotta engrave this on your heart. That means you gotta digest it. You gotta like, it's, you gotta study it. It's gotta become more than just words, but it's gotta be spirit and life to you. There's a point when the, li- the words in this book stops becoming mere words, but it becomes spirit and life. That's what you have to do with the word of God. That's what we're all entrusted to do with the Word of God. Not just, you know, everyone. You're entrusted to turn this. Okay, it's a book. Mine's pretty old. It's a book with words and chapters and verses and names of people and things and events and things that happen and history. And you got to turn this and, and meditate and, and, and memorize and go after it, contend for it, until it becomes spirit and life to you. You have to go after the Word of God. There's no way that we're going to be a people of the Spirit unless we have this. A lot of people think, oh, you know, like, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it happens to me. 
And I believe that is very important, but you know what? That's not going to be spirit and life to you unless this is flowing through your system. Your encounter with the Spirit of God must come equipped with this. Because this, you know what? The Spirit of the Lord, what it constantly does is point to this. You know what the Spirit of God does? Every time you encounter the Spirit of God, it points to Jesus. And Jesus, our understanding of what we know of Jesus comes right here. It's, all, it's like this paint. Jesus points to the Father. Holy Spirit points to the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. See, Spirit and life. We have to go after the Word. Point four. We have to fight for His presence. Everybody say, fight for His presence. Fight for His presence. We live in a world that has developed an art in vying for our attention. Okay? We live in a world where Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TV... I, I got, I'm telling you, I got mad convicted as I wrote this. It is so good at getting your attention. I could open my phone and see one article and spend 30 minutes of my time not just reading that article, but doing research on that article and see if it's true or not. <laughs> Facebook is, they're so good at it. We live in a culture where it's like the world has become mechanized and electri- electrificated. <laughs> That's not really a word. What's the word I'm looking for? It's become like, you know, technology. To the point where it's just being streamed into our eyes at all times. And and they perfected this phone. I love this phone. But it's so good at distracting me. We have to fight for his presence. We we, we really do. We have to fight for his presence. We, We have to fight. So that the, the things of this world doesn't rob you and rob your spirit of the presence of God. Contend for the spirit of God. To be in his presence, to commune with him. We have to fight for this. We can't just expect it to be there. Because it, you know what? If we just think, oh, it'll be there, usually isn't there. We have to fight. This is the battle that I was talking to you about. We have to fight for his presence. Fight to be in his presence. To to, to work up our spirit and say, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to, I'm praising you. I'm worshiping. I'm reading your word. I want to be in your presence. You got to fight for that. Point number five. Control your eyes. I don't know why I said it like that. Control your eyes. <laughs> Control your eyes. Matthew six twenty two. Your eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be Full of light. This goes out to everyone, but especially for you guys. Guys, you got to guard your eyes. If you want to protect your mind, one of the things for guys especially, very visual. Women, you guys are all like, you know, different things. <laughs> for guys especially, we're very visual. And our, and our eyes, it's like we can look at one thing. It gets just ingrained in our mind for like, for decades. <laughs> it's true, man. It's true, especially things with lust. It, it, it had, it, we, our, our eyes have an ability to like recreate things in our minds through our eyes and what we see. We have to, we have to be on guard with what we put before our eyes. Everyone, guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. Point number five, guard your tongue. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
And we don't fully understand how powerful our words are, what we speak are. And as a Christian, we're pretty good at controlling our tongue against other people. Most Christians, we're really good at controlling our tongue. Oh, you're great. I love you. You're wonderful. Nice shirt. Nice jacket. Oh, let's, have, let's do. No, we're really good at controlling our tongue against other people, but we're very bad sometimes controlling our tongue against ourselves. I'm stupid. I'm a loser. Oh, why did I even do that? Just my personality. I can't. Like, like, oh, this is the way I was born. I guess I'm just going to have to just deal with this and live with this. I'm sick. I'll always be sick. And for a while, I was getting colds all the time. Kept on saying, oh, it's just my immune system. No, I just broke that off. Man. I stopped saying that. Now, when we were young, and when I see my kindergarten kids, they're really good at saying the word, I can. And if I do something, like, ta-da, they're like, oh, teacher, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. You want to see me? And they can't do it. But in their minds, they're like, I can do it. I can do it. Kids, when we were young, we were really good at doing, saying, I can. I can. I could do this. My kids do it all the time. Oh, I can do that. I'll show them something. Go, oh, teacher, I can do that. You want me to show you? I can do it right now. Come here. Call on me. I can do it. I can do it. You want to see me do it? I can do it. Kids are great at saying, I can. But somewhere along the way, we started getting really good at saying, I can't. I can't do that. That's not for me. Oh, what are you talking about, preach? I can't preach. Our, our tongue, our words are powerful. We have to speak life. We have to speak life. We have to create life. And it's going to ultimately affect our mind works. Our mind and our tongue are connected in such an intimate way that whatever we think instantaneously can come out of our mouth. And whatever comes out of our mouth can ultimately affect how we think. You guys see that? We've got to guard our tongue. We've got to guard how we speak. Number seven, have an eternal perspective. Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on, on the earth. Have an eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective. This world as we know it, okay, everything that we know of this world, Busan, Seoul, Korea, Asia, America, Texas, San Diego. They will all fall away. You guys know that? Texas will crumble. It will all fall away. This world as we know it. Money, your money, your cars. Your job, your jewelry, your Sarvaski's crystals, your, 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 your engagement ring, your 401k. And what will remain is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. So set your mind on eternal things. Because we really get caught up in things. We have to, like, we get so caught up in things. I, I, I get like that too. You know, Pastor Christian gets like, he's so caught up in strollers right now. If you look, if you look at his, his Facebook wall, there's like eight postings about strollers. We, we get so caught up in things, but sometimes we gotta just take a step back and have a etern, like an eternal perspective on what really is important in life. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm pretty sure he's not gonna hear this. If he does, it's true, PC. We gotta have an eternal perspective. We can't get caught up in, yeah, it's okay. 
to get, you know, like have hobbies and do things and, you know, but sometimes it takes over our lives. It just becomes us. Sometimes we just need to take a step back and say, you know what, what is going to be eternal and what is going to fall away? You got to start drawing these lines and then setting your minds on the things that are eternal. That's why relationships are so important. Relationship, relationship, relationships have the potential for you to have eternal effects. That's eternal. Your relationship with the people around you, people in your family, your coworkers, your friends, people here at church, they can have profound, not just profound effects, but it can have an eternal effect. So relationships are so important. Value those. Set your minds on the things that are eternal. And which takes me to my, my next point. Get into community with people that are renewing their minds. Get into community with people that are renewing their minds. When I first came to Korea, and, and uh, I came to church, and I, and I would see some of these Christians, I'd be like, man, what, what? what? How can you think that way? What are you talking about? Why do you have so much joy? Why are you so okay? Why are you so good and okay with being vulnerable? And I, it would blow my mind. Like, what do you mean go to a pray on Friday night? Makes no sense to me. I used to think that way. But as I got myself around people that were getting their minds renewed, it made me very curious and it fascinated me. It really fascinated me to see, like, man, like these people... Are, are changing, they're transforming. And it made me curious. We have to put ourselves into community with people that are renewing their minds. We have to contend for relationships, fight for relationships, protect and guard relationships. Point number nine. Hope you guys are taking notes. Nine. Fight to take the focus off of focus of your mind off of you and put it on other people. Don't be so self-absorbed. This is one way you're going to guard your mind. Let me tell you. Because if you ever talk with a very self-absorbed person, okay, and you look at their mind, it's it's weird. They have like these weird anxieties and fears. Just being in a... When you have a conversation with a very self-absorbed person, the minute that the conversation goes away from them, they get scared. They get like... they're, They're just like... Like anxiety comes over them. That's why we need, we have to draw our attention away from us. Our focus, our minds can't be so focused on us. But the more we focus on other people, it's going to start renewing our mind. We're going to start thinking differently. Our minds get renewed as we interact and, and, and we, we see, like, like, we invest our mind into the lives of people around us. That's how you renew our mind. Fight to take the focus of your mind off of you. Put it on other people. And lastly, number 10, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. I want to read it to you. Close your eyes. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We've got to set our minds on things of God. And it has to be a fight. It's a battle. It's a battle to keep our minds in that place. 
Like I said before, our mind is a part of us that has the greatest potential to bring the most glory to God, but it also has the greatest potential to pull us the farthest away from God. And it's vital that we foster a mindset on the Spirit of God, a mind that is under the law of the Spirit of life. We have to stop fighting with our dead flesh. Get your mind out of that and start contending to go after God. Deeper with God. Farther with God. Content to experience just how high, how wide, how deep is His love for us. Know that our minds are connected with the Spirit and the Spirit of God. And as we are led by His Spirit, there is really no limit to the renewal of our minds. You guys know that? There is really no limit to the renewal of our minds. And this is what your mind needs to be contending for until the day of perfection. When Jesus Christ comes back, our minds will be fully renewed. It will be perfect. It says the day when perfection comes. We will see him face to face. Remember that? When we memorize it, Evagio? I didn't understand it back then. Uh, the more I meditated on it, it's like there's going to be a day when perfection comes. And, and we prophesy in part, we're going to know him fully. Yeah. As we know him fully, our minds are going to be perfected. Yeah. It's not because something happens in us, but because we fully understand the person of God. But until that day, our job is to continue to renew our minds. Continue to renew our minds. And come to a place where we're more like Christ every day. And stop fighting with our flesh. Get our minds out of there. It's a different paradigm. It's a different set of laws. We are under a different set of laws. Don't take yourself there. Yes, you might struggle. Yes, you might have, you might do things that's not good. But you don't have to, that's not, the, the battle is not in the desires of your flesh. The, 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 the battle isn't in the temptation for you, the lustful temptations of your body. And No, the battle is in the spirit. Go after the spirit. Go after God. Contend for God. Try to get as much as God of God as you want. And you know what? What does it say in Galatians? You will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. It's just going to fall away. We need a fresh perspective. Let's pray. I want us to pray. And a key to this. And the key to this, I believe, is hunger. It's hunger. There needs to be a genuine hunger that is birthed in us for the things of God. We have to have a hunger for His presence. We have to have a hunger for the Word of God. And right now, I want us to, to pray 